Welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Mike Britton, and I'm an editorial director here at IHI. I'll be filling in for Madge Kaplan on today's show. Setting up an improvement project in itself is challenging enough. You and your team have to create a meaningful aim, craft a useful set of measures, and brainstorm several creative change ideas to test. You have to get support from leadership, buy in from colleagues, and then figure out how to raise excitement about the project. All that in itself is an accomplishment. It's also just the beginning of the journey. Now you need to successfully manage the project. Managing a quality improvement project is a critical skill for anyone interested in making care and systems better where they work. But for many in healthcare, project management is not a full-time job. In most cases, they probably didn't formally learn the skills in their traditional educational settings. And in fact, there's a sizable gap between coming up with a great idea for a project and guiding a team to successful, meaningful improvements. How do you bridge that gap? That's what we'll discuss on today's WIHI, Five Practical Strategies for Managing Successful Improvement Projects. Our expert panelists, who we'll meet in just a moment, have managed dozens of improvement projects in many different clinical and community settings. In the first half of this hour-long session, they'll share five practical strategies that have brought them success. Then, as always, we'll turn to you, our WIHI listeners, to share your reflections, thoughts, and questions. For those who are new to WIHI, welcome. This is the Institute for Healthcare Improvements online audio talk show, which we offer live, biweekly, and after the show via, via IHI.org and on iTunes. On this program, we lean into cutting-edge innovation and bold ideas that are improving health and healthcare around the world. This week, we're stepping back from the bold and focusing on the practical. So whether you're about to manage your first improvement project or your 50th, whether you manage teams of four or teams of 40, you'll walk away from this hour with strategies you can test and use immediately, examples you can share with colleagues, and a valuable uh, tool that you can bring to your next meeting. Before we dive into today's topic and meet our panelists, here is IHI's John Gothier to let listeners know how they can make the most of their time with us. All right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the screen is our chat window. If you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so please make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Mike opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all the questions and comments being shared. Now, of course, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto your computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable Internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat, but a simple solution to any audio hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. We have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I've provided a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at IHI.org slash WIHI, along with today's chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI. Please take a quick moment after the program to fill out our very short survey and let us know how you've done. Back to you, Mike. 
Thanks, John. Again, we'll turn to the chat and your comments at about the halfway mark of the show. We welcome tweeting during and after the program. Thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so we can capture the conversation on social media and engage with other followers. Now, let's meet our expert panelists for today's show. Let's start here in our studio here in Cambridge on a bright, sunny summer day. Christina Gunther Murphy is an executive director at IHI and oversees IHI's person and family-centered care focus area. She also has experience in spread and scale-up as the manager of IHI's 5 Million Lives campaign and advisor for a number of large-scale change programs in the U.S. and internationally, including the 100,000 Homes campaign. Christina is a trained improvement advisor and has more than 10 years of experience in healthcare improvement. And just this month, she earned her MBA at MIT's Sloan School of Management. Welcome and congratulations, Christina. Thanks so much, Mike. Great. Next up, we have Karen Baldoza, who's also an executive director at IHI. Karen is co-lead of IHI's Improvement Capability Focus Area and teaches in IHI's programs aimed at building individual and organizational capability for improvement. As a trained improvement advisor and lean facilitator, she also leads and coaches staff in improvement within IHI. Previously, Karen was the Continuum of Care Portfolio Operations Director, overseeing IHI's work that addresses the patient journey in health and chronic disease care outside of acute care settings. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Mike. And joining us from what I what I hope and can only assume is a bright sunny day in Wisconsin, we're pleased to welcome Juliana Springer. Juliana is a health improvement coach at the University of Wisconsin. At UW Health, Juliana coaches frontline staff to create local improvement capacity across the organization in both ambulatory and inpatient settings. Her responsibilities include transferring process improvement skills and mentoring frontline staff, working with managers to develop and embed local improvement champions, and working with leaders to take process improvements through testing, piloting, and spread phases to ensure that positive changes are embedded and sustained. Welcome to the show, Juliana. Thank you, Mike. Wonderful. So thanks to the three of you for being with us today, and I'd like to uh, just go ahead and get started. So the first question will uh, turn to you, Karen, for this. Let's start with a little bit of context. So in a couple minutes, could you tell us why QI management is necessary for successful and ongoing improvement, and how it's maybe different from traditional project management. Sure. Thanks, Mike. So an improvement project is still a project. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and some desired output that you're trying to achieve, typically with a team of people and some resources. So many of the principles of project management apply in improvement projects. You need a clear goal. Um, You have a team representing the relevant stakeholders. Most likely you have a leader of that team, a scope, a time frame, a work plan, milestones you're anticipating risk, you're managing the team, and so on. But there are some differences, too. And over our years, over the years at IHI, we've seen many healthcare teams manage improvement projects successfully um, and unsuccessfully. Um, And the successful teams have, of course, had improvement capability. They've known methods and tools of improvement. Um, But they've also combined those skills with the ability to drive and manage a project to accelerate their success. And that's what we are obviously going to highlight today. Um, As you've mentioned, many were not trained in project management and perhaps not trained in improvement. So um, improvement is rarely a full-time job for the team leader and the team, and 
so you want to link the improvement to the day-to-day work as much as possible and build the improvement effort into existing work and structures like you know meetings and so on that you're already having. Um, you might have to build the team's improvement skills and provide some of that real-time training and figure out ways to keep the work a priority and, and moving when people also have other full-time, job, full-time jobs. And on the next slide, you can see a couple of the other things that we've highlighted um, as being different when you're managing a quality improvement project. So for example, um, how you might go about the project is known. You, you know you're going to use improvement methods. Um, uh, you're going to engage a team. But what what you're actually doing might change throughout the project based on your learning. You're testing different ideas. Some work, you know, some some are showing success and you're going forward, some you might stop, um, and that's going to change throughout because you're, you're learning along the way. Um, in improvement, another example, in improvement, we encourage failure. We're not trying to mitigate against it. You know, very early on, we're encouraging failure because we're learning a lot from that failure. So you can just see here on the slide some of those uh, some of those differences in what that means when you're when you're working on an improvement project. I was actually first introduced to this concept years ago when working with one of our strategic partners. They had several clinics engaged in an improvement effort, and they assigned project managers to each of the teams uh, to help the teams move forward. And they asked us as IHI to meet with these project managers, and and quite honestly, we weren't sure what to tell them. <laughs> and uh, uh, and and you know, we could give them the improvement tools, but they were really figuring out how to integrate those into the team meeting agendas, how they were creating work plans. And and, and kind of marching through those tools and methods, when they were going to meet with their sponsors, how they were going to track and review their results as a team and, and plan their next steps and their testing. Um, and that was a, a real uh, learning experience for us at IHI. Because um, you know you know the importance of this. You've been in that improvement team meeting where each meeting feels like you're starting over, that you're reminding everyone what we're doing, what we talked about last time, what we were supposed to have done in preparation for this meeting. Nothing's ever, re- ever ready to be tested. We're just planning, planning, planning. The wrong people in the ro- are in the room, and it seems to go on forever. Compared to some of our exemplar teams that figure out how to integrate the improvement work into their daily work, they review the data, they review their tests, they review what they're learning at each meeting or each interaction. It doesn't have to be a meeting. Um, they determine the next steps. They hold each other accountable to them, and they get great results on time and on budget. So there are many things that we've learned about how to maximize the success of your improvement efforts by managing them better. And we're only going to be able to touch on five of those concepts today, Um, but I'll just say this is very much a work in progress for us here at IHI, so I hope the listeners will chime in um, with questions, with ideas, with thoughts that will help us further this work and and help each other. Great. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for providing such a nice framing of our topic today. Um, Juliana, before we explore the the five practical strategies that will really serve as the bulk of the show, I want to turn to your work in Wisconsin for a moment. First off, do Karen's comments resonate with you? And and then perhaps you can give us an example of a a recent project that was in need of some serious management. Thanks, Mike. You bet. Absolutely, Karen's comments really do resonate, especially the concept of the meetings where you get together and you're talking about something and you're thinking to yourself, wait, didn't we talk about this last time? Um, So a little bit of the work that we've been doing here in Madison, um, a couple of years ago, back in the summer of 2014, the leaders in the UW Health Ophthalmology Department recognized that there really was a need to transform how the department approached quality improvement work in general and problem solving overall. 
and there really was a sense across the department that, you know, we're good, but we could be better. And throughout the summer of 2014, what they started to do was building the case for change, including looking at the overall structure of the department, operations, and, you know, keeping a pulse on the culture. And after applying some of the key strategies that we're going to dig a little bit deeper into today, they've been able to train more than 50% of their frontline staff in process improvement. They've engaged their MDs in continuous improvement, and they've really taken a systematic approach to quality improvement that has helped them change the world around them. That's great. Thank you so much, Juliana. And I look forward to coming back to you. We'll, we'll rejoin you in about 15 minutes or so to learn more about the ophthalmology project. Um, Sounds great. Thank you. So, so now let's turn back to here in our, our studio in Cambridge, Christine and Karen, uh, for these strategies that we're, that we're going to talk about for most of the show. So w- what do people need to do to go from project setup to project success? And more specifically, let's just get down to it. What are the five strategies that you guys have found to be invaluable in your improvement? work. So, Mike, this is Christina. Just I know the moment you've all been waiting for, the big reveal. Uh, But unfortunately, it will probably look familiar to many of you, but we're going to talk through these. You know, I first just want to say that, of course, we're talking about five strategies, but I wanted to spend three hours going through the complexity of all the interrelations, but Mike wisely said no, and we certainly want to hear from you. So we're going to limit it to five, but there really are many more than that. So just a reminder that this is really a subset. Um, I'm not going to go into... We'll go into each of these individually, so we're kind of leaving them on the screen so you can see them, but really want to kind of start to walk through them. And as Karen said, please chime in with your experience. So the first principle that I want to talk about, and there's a reason it's first, is thinking about front-loading the work and really doing the bulk of the work and making sure you spend that time up front. Um, I really love this graph that we put together because it explains why I get so frustrated um, at the beginning of improvement projects and why they feel so hard. So let me just quickly walk you through it. So basically the idea is pretty simple, which is the beginning of an improvement project tends to be a lot more work and yet you're not seeing any progress. And maybe there should be a third line on here that occurred to me as I was working with a team earlier this week, which is at the beginning of an improvement project, often the person who's leading it in the team they're still allocated to other things. So if you added onto it the concept of the team availability, you'd also probably find that was lower as well. And so I think it's just a really good reminder that this is why beginning is really, really challenging. So, and just to give you a sense of what that looks like, so we actually tried to map out, and please excuse my bad handwriting, this was <laughs> us just trying to, as Karen will talk about later, just trying to get something on paper, but we actually mapped out what it took to really bring improvement and start an improvement project. And there is a lot in that first six weeks. And I think one of the real risks is shortcutting the work that you do at Mm -hmm. the beginning. And I think this is actually where the work with lean and A3s is really valuable because it teaches you to stop and understand the problem and make sure that you have baseline data, you know what your current performance is. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a fine balance, of course, between spending all your time analyzing the problem and getting into kind of 
analysis paralysis and just moving forward sure. so this has to be a fine balance between the between the two mm-hmm. and I just want to say one thing that's not on this graphic so it's just a reminder that there is a lot here but it's time well spent if you can really get this right the rest runs smoothly so don't short, shortcut it um, there's a whole category that's missing which is also about building the team and it's just something I wanted to mention because I think often we think about I need a name statement and a theory of change and I need my measures but there's also a whole piece of letting your team kind of storm and norm and form. And I think I found in my experience that when you shortcut the team actually going through that process, you can find um, yourself in a bad situation later down the line. And thinking about upfront time and things like planning retreats and allowing people to talk about why this work is important to them and what they're hoping to get out of it or to express different views of the system. Mm -hmm. You know, often different players, you brought them in because they see the system differently and allowing them to say that's not how I see it or that's not what my world is like is really, really important. So just one practical way to kind of live this uh, strategy, which is something that one of our improvement teams created. And what I really like is it does two things. So it's just a checklist of all the things that you need to do at the start of the project. But the two things I like about it is, one, it allows you to see progress before you're going to see progress on your measures. So you can actually feel like for those of you who may be inclined like me to like to check things off a list, you feel like you're making some progress. And it also just allows you to stop and say, oh, shoot, you know what, we don't even know what the current performance of the system is. So make sure you don't miss any of those critical steps. So that's the kind of the the most important thing. But then, of course, you know, once you front loaded the work, you need to think about how you actually build a big 10. And this is really two concepts here. So the first is about how you think about engaging individuals in the setup of a project. And the second concept we'll talk about in a second is how you actually make sure that as a, a leader of improvement project, you're not doing all the work. There's really good ways to delegate this. So this is an example that I really love of a stakeholder analysis we did when we were thinking about some work around the quiet at night measure for HCAPs in hospitals. And I think what I really like about it is it, first of all, it assumes good intentions that, you know, just to give you an example, the hospitalists don't even know that the way that they're prescribing medication may interrupt sleep at night. And so they're kind of like, I don't really need to be involved in this. And so thinking about gosh, we need to figure out how each of these stakeholders, we understand what really matters to them. They all want to provide good patient care, but make sure that we don't have anybody that's going to try to stop this project from happening. And I think what we often see is people come into resistance much farther down the line because then they haven't thought through each of these things. And I think just related to this, I will say that, you know, if you're going to have a bunch of people who are going to stop the improvement project from happening, rethink it, you know, rescope it, Think about how to engage them as part of the team or consultants. Put your sponsor to work. Ask them to start talking to people to understand what's really going on. But don't just try to keep pushing forward when nobody is really going to help you make that change. So the second concept, even kind of in the big tent, is that what we often see, and I think I've had a tendency to do myself, is you try to do all the work. Um, And one of my favorite concepts is how you put your sponsor to work or your executive sponsor, whatever you call it in your organization. I think 
Um, often we forget they did this work previously or they really love doing improvement too. And so there was a team we worked with where the executive sponsor actually helped design some PDSAs and help them think through the measurement. And they said that it was their favorite part of the day was getting to work with the team to do that. So I think thinking about how to do that. The second thing is, you know, one of the things to really think about is how you delegate chunks of the work to get other team members involved. So there was a resourcing project we did here where half the group really focused on understanding supply and one of the primary drivers and the other half looked at understanding demand, another primary driver, and then came back together. Or likewise, in some work that we've been doing on what matters, there was a super eager medical assistant who was like, let me design and run a PDSA. I want to understand what matters to my patients. And so I think if you can really think about there's a lot of interest and capability Mm -hmm. and you may be under leveraging that when you're actually running an improvement team. So there's a lot of ways to kind of share the load. So the third principle um, is around making it easy. And I just, you know, I think too often we make the work of improvement burdensome and serious. And it is serious. These are important things we're trying to change. But the team is rarely full time. So it's even more important that you, one, make it the best part of the team's day. And second, that you figure out how to integrate improvement into existing structures. So I love this example of an improvement team huddle. It's 27 minutes and it includes uh, balancing measure of kind of staff, how is this going for you, staff satisfaction, where they do the report out real time in the meeting, as well as actually kind of tracking the PDSAs and measures. And, you know, often this meeting ended early. So in 27 minutes, if they could accomplish this much, thinking about how to be efficient and use meetings well. I think also, if there's a committee meeting that's not working, stop the committee and go run some PDSAs. You know, look for opportunities to actually do some swapping of here's how we're using our time right now that's not quite working. Can we embed improvement? Or can do we have a standing meeting where we could do an improvement update as a part of that? So anything you can do to build this into existing work and, and really find ways to kind of bring the heart back into it. Asking, telling a story about a PDSA that really made a difference or about why this work is important. So I know whirlwind there, and I'm going to turn it over to Karen to kind of keep us going on some of these practical strategies, but we're looking forward to hear what you have to say in the chat as well. That was great. Thank you, Christina. So, Karen, please uh, please take over. Yes, thank you, Christina. So, the next concept that we have here is focus on learning, not perfection. Um, and you, you hear us say that a lot at IHI, but when you move to implementation, you need buy-in, you need high confidence, you need the data to back up your um, your results. But in, in the beginning of the project, your focus is on learning quickly so you can make progress faster. And so we talk about everything in pencil. Don't laminate. Don't even put things in PowerPoint. You know, flip charts, post-it notes, all of that is great because then you can move things around. And if you need to put something in PowerPoint, I tell people take a picture of it. It's great. Phones, you can do that. Take a picture of it. Cut and paste it into your PowerPoint if you have to share it that way. And people laugh when I say this because they know what I mean. Um, but your your aim, your theory of change, your measures, um, what you're going to test, everything can and in some and most cases should change throughout your project as you learn because you're learning. Um, and so spending your time on testing and learning and not on laminating is a, a key point here. And, and also people... Um, tend to be more light or tend to be more open to your ideas and want to give you feedback or try something out for you if it doesn't feel like they're being handed a finished product. So everything in pencil. And then the next two are related. Um, 
step down to learn quickly. So look for opportunities to step down your learning. You know, can you collect a measure weekly instead of monthly or daily instead of weekly? Can you test it this afternoon with one person rather than with everybody next week? Um, you know, often we, I hear people saying, well, we can't send out another survey. People are sick of taking surveys. You know, we want to know staff satisfaction or people's thoughts on this or how much time it took to do that. Um, so we, you know, we'll say do 10 different staff people a brief survey weekly rather than 40 staff monthly. Sure. You know, you, you don't get the fatigue. You get data more frequently that way. Um, we have an example here of uh, a measure at IHI. So at IHI, join work is very important to us. And we had an annual survey with, um, you know, we'd ask about staff satisfaction like many surveys do and other components of the work environment. But an annual survey can't drive your improvement sure. efforts, can't sure. help your improvement efforts. So um, we went to a quarterly system, which was more helpful. Um, we were getting data more frequently, but still it wasn't telling us if the efforts we were making to improve joy and work were having an impact. So we moved to this marble system. Um, and what you see here on the slide is this is in our office. It's by our elevators. It's You have to pass it as you leave the office every day. What we ask um, staff to do is you take, at the end of the day when you're leaving, you take a blue marble, you drop it in the bucket. If your day you felt like you advanced things that day, and if you felt like you had setbacks, you take a brown marble and you drop it in the bucket. And there, there are post-it notes there. You can annotate your day and put that in there as mm -hmm. well. But we collect that every day, and we take a look at it. And it just gives us enough information to, for us to watch for signals that that might appear on the more comprehensive data later. Um, it gives us a sense if what we're testing is having an impact before you know, our quarterly survey, our annual survey. So thinking about ways you can really um, just uh, accelerate the learning and it doesn't have to be perfect because that's the third component here is you know you just need good enough to drive improvement we're trying to understand what it takes to bring about improvement you know we're not talking research we're not talking accountability nobody's you know pulling our funding from this they're gonna you know cite us for for something so we're just trying to figure out what's going to work in our context and is it getting better um, so as you know Christina mentioned how can you build that data collection and reflection into to meetings um, you know thumbs up thumbs down it's working it's not working we don't have to be scientific here and there are trade Offs, obviously, you're, you're trading off some accuracy for, for timeliness. But one of my mentors, um, and I have to, I'm going to read this quote. He says, "Good enough data collected today beats exquisitely precise or official data that costs a lot and delays your need to test and act." That's so, great. that's great. Good enough. Yeah. And then the last concept that we want to touch on is um, have an end date. And Christina laughs because this is a big one for me. <laughs> but. Uh, but the idea of having an end date, you know, improvement work rarely has a natural conclusion because it's, you know, CQI, continuous quality improvement. There's always something we can be improving. But um, in order to keep momentum, it's really helpful to have these things time limited. And, you know, there's nothing worse than the improvement project that never ends. Um, it becomes our work. It never moves beyond planning and testing to implementation. Um, so having that end date helps us to be intentional and not lose sight of the goal. And then you can work backwards and figure out, you know, what do we have to do? What are our milestones that are going to get us to our goal at that date? Um, and so starting meetings with that, with your aim and with your end date helps you to think critically about what you're doing. What are you testing? What are we working on? And how much is that contributing to our effort and to our aim? And it helps you prioritize because if it's not really contributing, stop it. Mm -hmm. And so you can use that end date to pick up the pace. And 
you know, people might be hesitant to set an end date because what if the work isn't done? Um, but the end date is really an important point of reflection. And if it's not done, you can decide, you know what, we've got some momentum here. Let's continue. Sure. Let's set a new end date. Um, or you might say, you know, we've got, we've taken this as far as this group can take it. Um, it really, the aim is really this. You could, you know, refine it and, and recharter it with, you know, a new end date and possibly a new team, you know, a better, more relevant group of stakeholders for some refined aim. Or you might stop it. You might say, the organization isn't ready for this. There's a big, you know, technology, um, something coming that's going to disrupt this work. We should really, it's bad timing. Um, and, and, you know, we don't have time. Nobody has time to waste on things that aren't going to add value. So um, you can always stop the effort too or, or you know, postpone it for a better time. Um, and then just a couple other tips on an end date. You know, inevitably there'll be some wrap-up after the end date, so plan for it, having a 30, 60, 90-day plan to make sure you're holding the gains. Um, recognize and celebrate the work that's happened to date. And then if you're not, if you aren't continuing um, or you're handing this work off to another team, you can always, you know, capture what you've learned um, in a guidance document, you know, capture the, the best practices and promising ideas so that learning isn't lost. Um, have a formal handover to a new team to share what you learned or have some overlapping team members so that work can be carried forward. Great. Thank you so much to both of you. Those are great strategies. And so so, so much great chat going on already. Uh, I hope people are checking that out. There's some good conversation going on. And, and Karen, actually, before we turn it over to Juliana, I, I want to ask you to repeat that quote, if you could, oh. that you got from your mentor. We've got a couple of requests for that, and it seems like a very, um, very poignant point. I just want to underscore that. Yes, it is. Good enough data collected today beats exquisitely precise or official data that costs a lot and delays your need to test and act. Profound. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Um, so, so thank you guys for sharing. And, and as we close out the first half of the show, before we turn to Q and A, I want to connect, uh, reconnect with Juliana to see some of these strategies in action. So, so Juliana, how did the ophthalmology project turn out, and how were these strategies particularly helpful with the work? Uh, great question, Mike. So uh, back in 2014, like I said earlier, um, the leaders really recognized that there was a varying level of process improvement skills and know-how across the department. And um, the department is made up of five separate clinic locations here in Madison. And the sponsors of this work, um, which really had a vision from day one of how this could look and should look, held four separate retreats just to kind of get some momentum, kind of part of that front-loading process for staff and physicians. And they got together and they talked about, you know, how are we currently doing things? What is our um, knowledge and process improvement? And they really took the time up front to understand how they were working in order to make their patients' lives better and their own lives better in the process. And and I think one thing that the sponsors really wanted to instill across the department was, you know, we're accountable, but we're capable in improving our experiences for ourselves and for our patients. And these retreats were all part of the important front-loading process for effectively managing the quality improvement work that was um, about to come. So the front-loading, um, the work here, which you can see here, this has been key for creating the structure for success in the last couple of years. So in, back in 2014, in addition to the retreats, there was the development of an oversight body, um, which created a charter to effectively manage this work, which included the scope, 
uh, key operational leaders, um, and really kind of outlined what does success look like for this work? What are the key skills um, and key quality improvement sort of methods that we want our staff to understand? What does success look like? And I think the sponsors, I can hear them in my head um, saying that the beginning was kind of slow, um, but that front loading has ultimately been a great investment and well worth it because, you know, they learned how to learn, um, so to speak, and, and how to problem solve at the same time. And as a result, now in 2016, the department is really starting to see the improvement and the, the lasting change as a result. So you can see here on the progress curve, they really have started living their vision. They've had 19 process improvement teams, which are at any given moment sort of out in the department collecting data, doing testing, um, as well as 22 recommended processes, so things that have been vetted through PDSA. And they've also developed a really robust spread structure for sharing the things that make sense, um, to share those better ideas. And, and along the way, they've effectively developed a communication method to keep the department, since it is um, in pockets across Madison, um, in the loop of the efforts that have been underway, which um, have included the utilization of huddles and visual management boards. So I think, um, yeah. So I think the next um, lesson um, and key strategy that they've employed um, with their ophthalmology operations um, quality improvement work in the last couple of years has really been building a big tent. Um, so you can see here the vision statement that was created by the department at one of those retreats, and it, it highlights um, some of the key words that have really been guiding principles for this work, quality improvement, education, innovation, um, and this was a vision statement that was drafted pretty much on the first take in a room of 100 people, so we were pretty impressed with that. Um, and the vision statement has really been championed by the sponsors um, from day one. Um, we really definitely put them to work, and they they um, rose to the challenge. They acted as true role models for the work, um, including the supporting staff and faculty and carving out the time to do the testing, to get together and meet and talk about what did they learn with their PDSA cycles. Um, and they all along had an eye for really building the capability within their department at the local level. And one unique way that we did this, you can see a picture here, is of our UW Health Improvement Champions, which is a local program here at the UW that focuses on transferring skills um, to frontline staff um, to really support and sustain local improvement efforts over time, because we know that sustainability is something that we can struggle with sometimes with process improvement. And these trained improvement champions, they really help the sponsors build that enthusiasm for this work. Um, they sort of carry the mantra forward and um, really, um, I would say, were fundamental change agents um, in making this overall sort of endeavor a success. So in addition to um, building a big tent and um, front-loading, the kind of final key strategy that they employed was really focusing on learning and not perfection. And, you know, we heard Karen talk earlier about, you know, don't laminate it, don't put it in PowerPoint, it doesn't need to be perfect. And that is something I would say is so critical for setting yourself up for kind of successful process improvement and project management and quality improvement work. So learning, as you saw in our vision statement, um, was really a key focal point of this work. 
and, uh, and it continues to be stressed um, as we go along. So is this with kind of QI efforts waiting to move forward until everything is perfect? Um, something we've really worked on here is, okay, how can we keep the work moving forward? What can we share and what can we learn from it as a result? So from the group that you saw earlier, um, we would encourage them to build new habits. You know, this was about trying out new skills, and that included creating run charts, which for some of them were a new concept, and monitoring data over time. And sometimes this meant, because we were working with frontline staff who maybe didn't have access to a computer, um, tracking their progress on a sheet of paper. You know, how does it look this week? What is, um, what is our data telling us um, from the last four days? And just drawing the dot and keeping the work moving forward. And it, it really, it was a nice concept because the team was using data to drive their decision making. Um, they were reviewing it, and again, all while keeping it moving forward. And I think um, another thing that you'll see here is those operations, the improvement champions, they met a couple of times a month, um, and they would come into a room, and there were about 10 of us. We'd put our work on the wall, and we'd just talk about it. And you can see here um, that's a team fishbone that somebody decided to make pretty, but it still was showcasing um, you know, pen and paper, you can do this, let's talk about it. It's more about getting the ideas on paper and sharing um, than it is about making it perfect. And the other kind of thing, I, the last thing I want to just call out is they would keep their QI updates on huddle boards and they would write down their improvements, share something, this is a team schedule, just so people would know kind of where people would be at for the week in case staff were wondering. And you can see the handwritten note below. This is um, scheduling group. We're going to do some ticks and tallies this week, some quick testing, a reminder to collect data in this area. And, you know, Mike, I think um, I would say that these strategies have really helped the department change their world and their culture from kind of this sense of, you know, this is how it's always been to, you know, this is how we're going to do things now. So it's been great to see the learning as a result. High praise. Thank you very much. That's fantastic. And I just want to give a reminder that actually the uh, uh, the strategies are, are going to be on a two-page downloadable tool on the archive page uh, later this afternoon. So um, if you didn't have a chance to write them all down uh, or if you want a little more on them, there are also, there's also 15 change ideas that are related to all of the strategies, and that will be on the WIHI landing page uh, here this afternoon. Um, John, before we jump into the chat, which has already been very active, there's lots of good conversation going on, can you just remind people how they can uh, contribute today? Yeah, uh, and it seems like like most people have already figured it out, but make sure that your questions or comments are directed to all participants in the chat. Great. Thank you so much, Sean. Uh, I, I want to start. This, this uh, question has come up a few times, and, and I think uh, somebody's even posed a little bit of an answer, which is incredibly helpful. But, but Christina, I want to turn to you um, a little bit more on stop, let, help, and make related to the Big Ten. If we could go back to that slide about the Big Ten, John. Yeah, absolutely. So this is just one of many tools to think through a stakeholder analysis. And as Rhonda nicely put in the chat, although it's hard to keep up, so there's so much richness there, the idea is you want to think about for your core stakeholder group. So this could be names or it could be groups. Is this person going to stop the change from happening? Are they going to kind of passively let it happen but not do anything to help? Are they willing to help or are they going to kind of make sure no matter what this change happens, which is the make? And what you want to think about is their current state now and where you need them to be to make the change that you want to change. And if you can really understand what matters to them in that particular case, 
trying to think through how you can meet what matters to them in a way that's really going to guide your efforts. So for example, if laboratory in this case is worried a little bit about workflow, um, if they change kind of when lab tests are due to give patients more sleep, well then let's sit down and think through what would the workflow look like if we started at 8 a.m. instead of at 6 a.m. So it's just in a way for you to think through early on before you get into it and learn there's resistance where people might be and ideally where you need them to be. Some people you can say, yeah, they're not going to help, but that's okay. Sure. Does it help? Sure. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I, I want to turn now to uh, a theme that's come through, and not surprisingly is the lack of time uh, to, to do this work. So the first question, I think it might have been the first question that actually popped up, was about the minimum number of hours a manager needs to spend on an improvement project. So I know it's probably tough to land on 10 or 50, whatever the concrete number is, but Karen and then Juliana, I want to give you a chance to, to chime in maybe what you, what you think is a minimum here that really gets this off the ground. Yeah, I'm always hesitant. <laughs> I'm always hesitant to answer questions like that um, because it, it depends, you know, of course, um, and uh, it depends on the context and the expectations of the, you know, the your particular setting. But when we are running programs and we say, you know, you're going to participate in this program and you're going to run a project and you should have probably 20% of your time protected to work on this project in your if you're in, you know, some kind of team leader, manager, um, coach role. Team members might not spend that much time. You know, they're going to try to, we're going to try to put some testing into their daily work to, you know, try out some of those ideas. Um, But just, you know, that uh, the management and leading and operations of a team, if you make me say a number, I'll say, you know, 20% of your time. Good. No, that's a good number to start from. And and Juliana, I'd I'd welcome you to uh, comment on that too. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I I definitely would agree with Karen's comments, and I think um, it definitely is probably a little bit more time up front, so kind of getting back to that front-loading idea. Um, And I think that, you know, as you progress and as you go along, it's about, you know, where can you sort of carve out the time? So if you are doing huddles, can you give a quick update there and and give a data collection update at that, you know, mechanism? Can you share your work on a visual management board or keep it posted in a general area for people? to see um, just so there's conversation around it and maybe that's a point where people could fill out a tool at that point and I think that that's something that I've I've definitely learned in the last few years is really trying hard to meet people where they are at because time is absolutely a consideration when it comes to this work. Great. Thank you. Good comments there. And so the kind of the, the second part of that question that came from um, another listener a little bit later, uh, suggestions for how to ensure time is protected when there are many competing demands, of course, and leadership doesn't always see quality as a priority, which we know happens. So, um, Karen, I, I, I'm going to turn back to you because you're, you're looking at me. Um, what, what are your thoughts there? So, I, I, well, if, if listeners have ideas. I, I welcome them. You know, we struggle with this at IHI as well, you know, doing your job and improving your job. But but a couple of the tips have been mentioned already. You know, can you take existing meetings and, and rearrange the agenda so this can be part of the meeting? Um, is there a meeting that's happening? And Christina mentioned this. Um, you know, is there a meeting that's happening? You can say, you know what, we don't need this meeting. Let's get out and do some tests during this. And finding some of those efficiencies are there things that, you know, for the period of time that you have the project, are there things that you can put on 
hold and use that time um, to do to do the improvement work. Um, the, it, so anything you know, any of those swaps or existing structures that you can build into. I think if if it, your team should also have a sponsor. And the sponsor mm-hmm. should have some accountability and some clout with the leadership. Um, if this is important to work on, that sponsor, you know, going back to your sponsor and and saying we need, you know, some kind of protected time for this because if there's no sponsorship for it and there, you know, it's not tied to something that's important to the organization, you know, you, you might not have that will and, and question whether we should be doing this or if this is the right time mm-hmm. to be doing it. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you for that. Juliana, would you add anything to Karen's comments there? Um, I think the only thing I would add is, is um, getting back to that idea when we talked about earlier, it's the, the 27 minutes, I think, there was one of the, the slides that Christina presented. And I, I think what's interesting is sometimes people think, well, we have an hour, so we have to meet for an hour. <laughs> and we, if we don't have anything to talk about for an hour, we don't need to meet for an hour. So let's take that time back, and like Karen said, and actually get on the ground and do some data collection and, and talk and, and maybe get some of that qualitative feedback um, in that. That way, and I think that that's something um, that's really important. And I think too, you know, utilize technology where you can. You know, can you use the phone? Can you hop on WebEx? Can you do a Skype with people? Just to, you know, maybe not everybody can make it to the meeting, but can we still somehow figure out a way to get together for 15 minutes and tap into some of those existing technologies to keep everything moving forward? Good. Good stuff. Thank you, Karen. You wanted to add one more thing. You know, something else that occurred to me is also um, pulling people towards the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, often at IHI, we hear that working on an improvement project is actually one of the the best experiences that our staff have has. It's you know the opportunity to actually influence your work. You're learning something new. You're getting to work with people you don't typically work with. Um, so so can we actually pull people towards this effort and and make the improvement work? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the best part of their job, um, you know, how building in time to share stories about how the work is meaningfully impacting customers or patients, um, you know, how it's applicable to their work, and, and they want to do it because it's making things better for them. Um, having fun, you know, we try to build in a lot of fun into our improvement work um, and, and celebration and, and, and learning from our failures, so there's also ways to kind of engage people even when time is scarce. Great. Great. Thank you very much for those comments. So I want to turn to team composition next. And I I hate to call out one comment because there are so many great comments, but just a a really kind of a nice idea here from Michael Young. At a former hospital, one way to spread the vision was by making it mandatory that at least 20% of an improvement team had to be team members who had never served on a team before. Right? What a great idea to kind of of spread improvement around. Um, Christina, I want to turn to you next uh, with this question about just a, a little more about the ways to capitalize on the potential of each team member in an improvement project? How do you do that? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. And, you know, I think one thing is being really honest with yourself and your team members about what people's capabilities are. I mean, for example, I had probably served on 10 improvement teams, and then I tried to lead one, and I didn't know how to do that. You know, and so I think asking each person to be really thoughtful about 
um, where they're actually working, what their capabilities really are. And I think that's the second thing I want to say, which is for many people, this should be their work if you have the right team. And so often what I found is team leaders themselves try to write the PDSA or develop the measure or they try to, you know, do something that is that department or that group's work. And so I think for each team member really asking them, what are you doing in your day-to-day work? What would you want to test? What could you try? And so I think there's a way to really capitalize. It's a combination of understanding the capability, capitalizing on what people have to do anyway, that they just might take a little bit more time and delegating kind of with constraint pieces of the improvement project. Or for example, we've often found untapped um, analytics capability. You know, Mm. someone who's just really thoughtful and good about measures and it doesn't have to be the person who's on the formal measurement team. And so thinking about someone who may have those skills and that's where the team building at the beginning to ask people, what are you hoping to get into it? Or asking questions, what are your hidden secrets or talents that we should know about can really help you? Or or another way is um, what we found often is looking outside your organization is really valuable. So maybe someone's brand new, but they worked at three hospitals before and they can tell you how it worked there and you have seven new change ideas. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really, I know that's not a prescriptive answer, but it's understanding the assets that each person brings and not being afraid to kind of let go a little and let other people drive pieces of the improvement project. Nice ideas. Yeah, for sure. Juliana, I want to give you a chance to chime in on that one too, how to get the most out of each team member. Um, I think a couple of things, strategies that I've seen that have worked pretty well, I think, in the past is really sort of this idea of checking titles at the door. So when you do have an interdisciplinary team made up of multiple roles, um, letting people come in and, and talk about their their day-to-day operations, um, it never really ceases to amaze me that because we're so busy, um, people get together and ultimately somebody will leave the room feeling like, oh, I didn't know that you did that. And there's so much value in getting together and being open and honest with each other and, and being able to talk in that safe space. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of value in, and I agree with Christina's comments. One thing that comes to mind is um, it came last wave, um, one of the team members was really interested in like marketing and um, sort of kind of visual graphics. And we put that skill to use and, you know, they helped us develop visual um, kind of posters and little banners just to say, hey, we're testing this. And it was a great way to build engagement and at the same time communicate the improvement effort that was going on across the department. Great. Thank you. Christine, I want to give you a chance. To- yeah, I just also don't, I mean, of course, it maybe because I oversee person-centered care, but don't forget that patients and people and community members can be real assets to leverage as well. There was improvement work we were doing in the UK, and one of the lead service users ended up taking a huge role in actually helping to organize. She was thinking about PDSAs, so I guess I'd be remiss given the work I do here without saying that. But I think also just thinking broadly about the word team. I think often front desk, um, you know, there's a lot of people who might be excited about improvement and kind of eager to try to build capability there. So I'll stop. Good thing you got that in there. You would have heard about it after the show if you did. Um, great. Okay. We want to move to um, closing a project, sustainability of a project maybe as, as, as another uh, theme that's coming out here. So Karen, I'm going to turn to you. You talked about ending the project, the end date. So do you, and if so, how do you close a project with a team if the changes are implemented, but the real impact isn't going to be seen till further down the road. So how do you how do you close that off in a nice sort of natural way? Mm-hmm. So, so what we were talking a lot here today about was when you, we think of 
improvement, there's a testing phase, there's an implementation phase, and there's a, you know, sustaining or, or spreading phase, if that's applicable. And, and so, um, if the changes are really hardwired in there, you know, an aspect of implementation is that ongoing measurement. As you get into, you know, if you think about Duran's trilogy and that you know, there's the quality improvement aspect, but there's the quality control. So where, what what are those discrete measures or that one outcome measure that we are going to continue to track as an organization and and watch that over time mm-hmm. and see, oh, yep, you know, and, and we can annotate that run chart or that control chart and said there was an improvement effort here and look, we're seeing those results sustain over time or, or you know, the, the outcome is now being felt as we expected from this improvement effort and, and we're sustaining it. Um, and, it. And if you're using those control charts to monitor the health of, of the organization, you know, you'll see maybe we did this, but look, we're not seeing the improvement. Maybe we have to go back or we are seeing it. It's for that improvement team or it's starting to dip. Maybe we need to concentrate a little bit of effort here and, and get it back up to, to the level we were looking for. But it's really falling into that um, those principles and practices of sustainability. That's great. And, and related to that, and this is kind of the, uh, you know, the, the ultimate question here is maybe how do you ensure the gains from the project stick in the operation uh, post-project? Uh, I mean, tough question. And we obviously <laughs> don't have the time to go too deep into That's sustainability the- here. Tune in for the next WIHI. <laughs> Which will be eight hours long, right? Um, but what can we offer there? What can we offer in terms of, like, how, how can you make it stick? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things. There's also a really great new white paper that it's worth checking out um, that is just on this topic and goes into the system of quality control, which often we don't actually spend a lot of time on. And I think it's a really, a little wonky, but really thoughtful uh, uh, insight into that. I mean, I think a couple of things, thinking about ownership long-term and trying to overlap individuals that are going to be in part of that. Karen already talked about measurement, how you think about hardwiring the changes, how you think about communicating and embedding into job descriptions and standard work. I always joke that if you have a new form, but six exist on your internal site, there's all good likelihood that that new form is not going to be the one that people use. Um, And then I think really thinking about whether you've created more work or not, there's some really wonderful work that's been done by Chris Hayes on this topic, a former IHI fellow, about making sure that as you build improvement projects, kind of assessing overall, have you made the workload higher or have you actually reduced? Certainly the improvement project is more work, but it should be less work over time. And so if you're not thoughtful about designing improvement projects that ultimately reduce the work of the system, you start to just create more and more work. So I know that's really high level, but hopefully a place to start and definitely check out that white paper. Good place to start for sure. And Juliana, I just want to give you a chance to chime in and perhaps even um, allude to the ophthalmology project that we talked about. How do you make that stick after the project ends? Yeah, that's such a great question and something that we definitely um, talk about a lot here at the UW. And I think, you know, it's something we're learning, right, along the way and as we go. I think a couple of things that we've tried to employ, um, just kind of going off of Karen and Christina's ideas, um, so that ongoing sort of just assessment, you know, using a run chart to say, are we keeping those gains? And maybe whereas when we were in that active testing phase of monitoring it, um, maybe every day or every week, 
maybe when we've moved to implementation and spread and sustainability, it's we're monitoring it on a monthly basis just to keep a pulse check on, you know, are things working the way we want them to or not? And then if not, kind of going back and doing some quick PDSA cycles um, to hopefully improve the gains. And I think also relying on some of that qualitative feedback, right? Sort of that sense of mm, something doesn't seem to be working really well here and maybe doing some testing on that to kind of further vet that out. I will say the, the hard coding is key. Um, so some of the process improvements um, that the ophthalmology improvement has been focusing on include same-day scheduling. And we are now in the next step of updating the job descriptions um, with hard coding that, um, sitting down with patients a same day as part of a job requirement so that these testing, these tests, these small tests of change um, are actually hard-coded into sort of the standard of how things are done in the department. So those are just a couple of ways. No, those are those are great. Thank you very much for those uh, for those contributions. Uh, I'm going to turn to our panelists to give their final thoughts in, in just a moment, John. But I want to turn to you for a quick message. Yeah, thanks, Mike. If you're listening to today's WHI, you've already started down the path of becoming an expert at moving improvement projects forward. Uh, at IHI, uh, we're proud to offer a great program for you starting this September. Improvement Coach will build your knowledge and skills in the application of the science of improvement and help you lead improvement efforts. You've already heard from one of the exceptional faculty in the Improvement Coach program on this WHI, and that's Karen Baldosa, and she'll be joined by two other experts during the program. We're also excited to be able to offer WHI listeners today a 15% discount on the enrollment in Improvement Coach if you're one of the first 10 people to contact our wonderful IHI team member, Caitlin Littlefield. A link to our prog- a link to the program, which is IHI.org slash Improvement Coach, and Caitlin's email and phone number are up on the screen right now. Uh, check those out, and we hope to see you in September. Thank you, John. Okay, we're going to turn to our panelists for just some closing thoughts here as we as we get to the top of the hour. So, Christina, let's start with you. What would you uh, what would you like to leave us with? Thanks, Mike. So, first, I just am really thrilled to see what's coming through in the chat. You're sharing your stories and ideas, and I think that will make this content richer. So, please keep it coming via email. Anyway, we want to hear what you're doing to to lead this work. And then, I think, secondly, is I know that often there's I, what I see a lot in the chat is maybe you don't always have leaders that are on board or there aren't clear priorities. And so I just want to say, I think there are ways to make your improvement work more effective, even in the absence of some of the bigger systems that need to be improved. I hope we've started with some of the ideas of how to do that, but just encourage you to get started and try to think about not just the improvement capability, not just the project management, but really what have you kind of harvested from your years in improvement or others on your team about the little things you can do to manage the work to really make it more effective. Great. Thank you. Those are great comments. Juliana, let me turn to you next uh, for your closing thoughts on today's show. Um, thanks, Mike. So I think the biggest sort of thought that I have to share is the importance of talking to others with um, who are going through similar things because there's so much value in learning, you know, oh, that's how you front-loaded the work or I didn't think about trying it that way. And, you know, even in those sort of side hall conversations, um, there can be so much uh, value and richness in, in applying sort of key strategies that maybe you hadn't thought of um, to keep your quality improvement work moving forward. Great. Thank you so much, Juliana. And thanks for all your great contributions today. Uh, Karen, uh, you drew the short straw, so you have to go last. Uh, <laughs> close it up for us. What, uh, what closing thoughts do you have? Thanks, Mike. Well, you know, it's 
as usual, I, I wanted to say everything Christina said, but she said it much better. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think just something that's really resonating with me is, as I look at the chat and, and from the program is, you know, how to make this easy and just try something. Um, I think there were a lot of tips, things that I read in the chat that you can, you can just try this afternoon with, you know, whatever is within your control um, and, and start. I was reminded of this even earlier this week where I was trying to put together a toolkit for supervisors. Uh, here at IHI, and one of my, I said, I don't know if it's the right format or the right information, and my my colleague said, it doesn't matter, just go test it. Someone's going to tell you <laughs> if it's the right format or the right, you know, the right information. I went, oh right, yeah, okay, I'll test it. Um, so so it doesn't have to be hard. You can you can try something this afternoon, and hopefully there are some tips that people will feel like they can they can walk away with and, and help their work. Great, and and again, just another reminder that the uh, two page strategy document that uh, Christina and Karen put together is available on the will be available on the archive page after the show. So so a big thank you to today's audience for a great chat, great discussion, and of course today's expert guests. What a great and practical discussion we had. Next up on WIHI on July 28th, we'll learn some of the innovative work going on in the 100 Million Healthier Lives Initiative, and in August we'll turn to the world of EHRs. A reminder that you can download the chat and any slides we use for our discussion today when you log off. Look for that option, and we'd very much appreciate your filling out a brief survey that will pop up. We want to know what worked for you today and how to continue to make WIHI a better program. Check out the archive pages for WIHI where you'll find an audio download of this program plus all the resources posted by tomorrow morning. You can also find the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast uh, provider. Subscribe under Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And if you like what you hear, please write a review on iTunes. Any questions that you have, please uh, reach out to info at IHI.org and feel free to suggest future show topics as well as we're always trying to uh, come up with uh, ideas that that, uh, fit our audience. The people who help make WIHI possible are Matt Morse, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Jane Rosner, Val Weber, and Haley Ladd. Thanks also to Stephanie Gary Garfunkel for help on Twitter today. It is my privilege to host an audio program focused on how we can improve health and healthcare around the world. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Mike Britton. Have a fantastic day.